Let's make a start. Um, now, I'm currently um, meeting up to read the Bible with, uh, with a young man in the city. Um, not that I'm old, but he's a bit younger than me. Um, and he wonderfully became a Christian uh, quite recently. He'd been searching for a church for, for quite some time, um, looking for answers on the big questions of life, which in and of itself is quite, quite unusual for a young graduate. Um, and, and then he rocked up to church and to one of our lunchtime talks in the city. And, and he heard the message preach, and he felt convicted, uh, compelled, uh, and uh, is now really excited to learn more about God in the Bible and just to get going as a Christian. Um, and I asked him about his family and friends, and what do they all make of this change um, of you becoming a Christian? Um, uh, and he said that on the whole, it's been fine. Um, his friends have been very respectful and supportive. Um, one of his friends in particular listened to him carefully, uh, gave him a lot of time as he explained the gospel and how he gave his life to Jesus. Um, and very kindly at the end, he said to him, that's correct. Um, but I just want you to know that if you need anything, I'll always be there for you. Um, so his friends clearly think that he's gone mad. But um, apart from that, um, this new Christian man seems to be doing great. Um, he doesn't mind at all being uh, invited a bit less frequently. Things or having to be the one who drinks a bit less at the pub. Um, but it did say that the one place where it was a bit harder is home. Um, he said that his parents started to express some concerns. Um, why have you changed? Um, we haven't raised you this way. Are you suggesting that we're bad people? Do you really have to go to church every single Sunday? So what his friends say is one thing, uh, but when criticism comes from the home, well, that's a, that's a different ballgame. Um, now, last week, if you were here, we saw um, in, in verse 24 to 33 uh, that Jesus gives us good reasons to fearlessly proclaim his message from the rooftops. Uh, we saw that he, he matters more than others. Um, so did we should fear him and not man, and that we matter to him, right? That we matter to him more than sounds who cares for us. Um, today, we see Jesus explain the after effects of his message being fearlessly proclaimed from the rooftops. Um, and I don't think any of our friends and our colleagues um, would ever predict what he has to say. As people come to hear the message, uh, and many believe it, what do we expect will happen? What, what happens when the message is fearlessly proclaimed and believed? Let me read again verse 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. And that's the first point. Jesus' message brings the sword. Um, Jesus tells us to not presume that he's bringing peace. Since our expectation and a colleague's expectation is that he is the man of peace, right? And he's come to bring peace, not war. He's, after all, as every good Christmas card has ever told us, he's the baby who brings peace on earth. Uh, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, away in the manger. Um, but I wonder whether a Christmas card with verse 34 printed on it would work equally well. I have not come to bring peace, but the sword. Maybe you can try it this year and see what more sort of reactions you get. Um, 
Don't get me wrong, he is the man who has come to bring peace, right? the Bible tells us that, um, with God and with each other. Um, he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near, says Paul in Ephesians 2. But the after effect of his message, when believed, will be the sword. Um, now, truthfully, we know that already, if we were here, um, in the last couple of weeks, um, we already know that people won't necessarily like the message of Jesus. Um, verse 16, we saw that Jesus is sending the disciples out like sheep in the midst of wolves. Jesus has told them that the message would be opposed both by the local authorities, in verse 18, and even by the religious authorities. So what's the surprise here? The surprise here is that the message will be opposed even by those who are nearest and dearest. Jesus wants the disciples to know that as the message is believed, um, all relations will be revolutionised. Even blood ties will be broken because of the gospel of Jesus. Now, I've already told you about my friend um, uh, in the city who recently became a Christian, but what about, I was reading about Rashida in Bangladesh, uh, the website, the website of Open Doors, you might know about this organization, tells me that she became a Christian just last year. Um, she kept it secret for, for, uh, for a while until she was encouraged by others to share her faith, and she decided to share the news with a loved one, obviously, only to find um, herself being physically threatened and disowned by her own son. Um, so whether here or far away, whether in the small things or in the more manifestly, following Jesus will cause divisions um, that can be closer and more painful that we might, than we might expect. Now that he has arrived, many have started to follow him. Um, we have entered the age of the sword, uh, where enemies can be found not just outside, but even at home. Uh, look at me at verse 36. And the person's enemies will be those of his own household. Now this is a complete transformation of normal relationships, right? Those who have always been close allies because of Jesus have now become enemies. Speaking of transformations, um, you might know, I might have told you that I'm Italian, and one of the most important and painful days in our history, at least recent history, was the 8th of September 1943, uh, when our Prime Minister proclaimed to the whole nation on the radio at the time that he had signed an armistice um, with the Allied forces, the US and the Brits. In other words, in the, right in the middle of World War II, we had swapped sides. Um, we realised we realised quite quickly we couldn't win the war, uh, so we thought we might join you guys. Some called it betrayal. Some called it betrayal. Uh, we prefer to call it diplomacy. Um, now imagine being Italian deployed, an Italian soldier deployed in Russia or Greece, fighting alongside the Germans. So on September the seventh, nineteen forty-three, you're fighting alongside your allies, and then all of a sudden on September the eighth. They become your enemies. It'll be awkward at least. And that, in a sense, can be the experience of the Christian. Um, those who were closest, the closest allies you can possibly find, your family, uh, become.
because of Jesus, can become enemies. Um, and we know that the closer we are to someone, the harder it will be when they do become opposed. Um, and the story about my friend that I shared, as that, as that story tells us, one thing is being made fun of by your friends, or accused by the HR department. Another thing entirely uh, is for your own home to become an unsafe space. Um, and it could well be that this has been the experience of some of us, um, whether in marriage or in wider family, uh, and this might bring up painful memories of that. Um, but Jesus wants to kindly show us that all the opposition within our families because of him, whether big or small, never comes to him as a surprise. Uh, he is fully aware, he is for us, and simply wants to prepare us. So we'll see now how Jesus' message is divisive um, and that it will divide people who were until that point inseparable. Um, so Jesus' message brings the sword because, our second point, Jesus calls to complete allegiance. Um, let me read verse 37 again. Whoever loves father or mother, or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, even if, if we are a very Christian, it's still hard to read verse 37, isn't it? Um, yes, we love Jesus, but do I really need to love him more than my mum and my dad and my son and daughter? It's quite strong. But I think this is precisely the, the discomfort that Jesus wanted his disciples to feel. Uh, it's unthinkable that you would love anyone more than those who made you or the, more than those you made. However, Jesus is saying that the person, if a person is to follow him, um, if they want to be worthy of him, they are to put him before, not just anything else, but anyone else. Just for clarity, Jesus, I don't think he's asking us to forsake our families, um, to abandon our children and neglect our families so that we can spend all our time with Anna and Wes at Covent Garden Talks, so that you might want to do that. Um, he is, however, saying that there is no relationship that you or I might have in our lifetime that is of more value, worthier, than the one we have with Jesus. So he calls for complete allegiance. Um, and because of the allegiance owed by all to Jesus, there is no cost um, that you or I might pay that is too high, or for which Jesus might say, oh no, don't worry, you don't need to do that for me. Verse 38. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now we know that the cross here is not uh, my sore neck, my rheumatism, the noisy neighbour. Um, the cross literally meant at the time death. Uh, so that's what we're talking about. Being a follower of Jesus is a wholehearted commitment. Um, we might find this a little bit hard to digest, but if we stop and think about it in a way, we understand it quite easily. We give ourselves to all sorts of things of varying certain value um, all the time. So things are sometimes prioritised even over our families. Uh, think about the political party, think about the environmental activism, for those of bred couples who got divorced over Brexit, um, it does happen. 
Well, let's think about something a bit closer to home. Imagine the high-flying consultant having to do a normal nice rev often, maybe every six months, to finish this presentation for that very important client. Uh, it's probably not ideal for family uh, or for his own personal well-being, but we can at least understand him. Um, he's making costly decisions because of his life. His, his livelihood depends on it. His salary, after all, comes, comes from the company. Now think about all of us whose lives literally come from the Lord Jesus, uh, whose every single breath depends on him granting it. Um, think about his willingness to do precisely what he calls us to do. Um, isn't he who took the, his cross physically and gave his life for me, isn't he worthy of my allegiance, my affection, my love? Understanding who Jesus is to us helps us understand these words. Uh, they're not uh, that unreasonable after all. So it makes sense uh, that becoming a Christian will have a transformative impact on the whole of our lives. Um, it cannot be a half-hearted endeavour, says Jesus. Um, but our friends and colleagues probably look at us and think that Jesus, the Jesus thing is a bit of a hobby for us. Um, something we do on a Sunday or a Thursday lunchtime, uh, the same way one, one might go to the gym, uh, play lacrosse or do chest boxing, so that's the thing. Um, Jesus instead describes becoming a Christian as having one's normal course of life completely altered. Um, if you're wondering what becoming a Christian looks like for you, Jesus says, expect your life to be turned completely upside down. Verse 39 says that whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, you might have heard the phrase, until you find something worth dying for, you haven't found, you haven't found anything worth living for. You might have heard of it. Um, uh, now, that, for, for us as Christians, we have found it. Um, obviously, we all look for life all the time, in our jobs, with our loved ones, um, in our passions. Um, Jesus is not saying stop looking for life altogether, as some religious people, religious people might say, but he's saying that the life you find here, you will definitely lose at some point. But if you make him your first love, your first priority in this life, you will find life. Um, just note how the repetition of the word whoever five times we, we get it in this passage. Whoever loves father and mother, whoever loves son, whoever does not take up his cross, and whoever finds life, and whoever loses his life. So five times it's highlighted that it's anybody, right? It's not just a few extremely godly Christians among us who feel like they've got time. It's for everyone. And I imagine that for those of us who are Christians and have been Christians for a long time, um, um, this will be our experience. Um, our change in desires, in, in affections, priorities, um, choices that make little sense around people around us, especially our family, um, regarding our career, our time, our finances, our bodies, our holidays. All because the day we start to follow Jesus, the course of life is completely altered. We have new allegiances, 
and we no longer keep looking for life now, but choose instead to live for Jesus' sake. And I guess that it is also our experience that as we give ourselves to Jesus, um, Arthur, as our first love, our top priority, we find then that we are then able and better equipped to be good husbands, wives, daughters, brothers, grandparents. So let me conclude. Uh, because Jesus legitimately calls people to complete devotion, his message will naturally be a divisive one. Um, once Jesus' message is clearly and fearlessly proclaimed from the rooftops, we can accept rejection not just from outsiders, but even from our families. There will necessarily be competing allegiances um, once one chooses to lose his life now, um, he or she will stick out like a sore thumb. Um, and they might find that their former allegiances are turned upside down, even find enemies in their own household. Like my friend and his family, do you really need to be such a committed Christian? Um, that will be true for most of us, probably. But wonderfully, as we stand with Jesus, in those moments, as we make costly decisions for his sake, um, as we lose life in a way that is incomprehensible to some of our dear ones, Jesus promises that we will find life there. Um, thank you. So why don't we uh, look at the questions that you have on your sheet um, underneath. These are the wrong questions. So why don't we simply discuss uh, this question for two minutes. What would it look like to make costly decisions because of our new allegiance to Jesus for us. Just one question to, for us to discuss around tables for two minutes. 